We are lucky enough to have two passages from the Bible today. And the first one is from Matthew, the other one is from 2 Peter. Um, so if you'd like to start with me on page 1000 of the Blue Bibles, during the end of Matthew. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, skipping over to 2 Peter now on page 1225. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will, it, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thanks, uh, Ainsley, and good morning again, everyone. If it's your first time with us today, or you've been away a week or two, we are in week three of a six-week series that we've called Gospel Heat. And the premise of this series is that every part of our life together needs to be firing, and indeed needs each, each part, if we're to be effective in generating many opportunities to share the great news of Jesus. So if that's you today, you're here checking out who Jesus is, it's wonderful to have uh, you with us today, and that's really why we plant and multiply churches and, and planning on planting our next one. So I hope today's sermon is a really helpful insight into the, uh, the importance we think as Christians on sharing what we consider great news about Jesus with others. Now, there's a little diagram I've been working on that I introduced last week. It's for the visual processes amongst us. We'll pop it up on our screen there. Uh, the first slide there puts forward the pre- uh, sort of this premise of the different aspects or the different purposes of the Christian life, all working together, magnifying God's glory, playing a part on mission, serving God's church together with a strong sense of the great blessing and responsibility it is to be a member in God's church, with all of this being fed, nurtured and grown as we're deep in the Word of God together. Week one was the setup for all of this, then uh, next slide, thanks Mandy. Last week we started off the discussion on the mission aspect of it, both sermons are online, 
And this week, next slide, we're looking at the role of service in God's church. As together we labour in the Lord with hearts of glad, sacrificial service in the formal ministries that we undertake. And I want to say up front uh, today that I think gospel-hearted, Bible-believing churches like us have wandered a little off track on this area of serving in ministry and we need to course correct. I want to argue today that two things have happened over recent decades uh, that need fixing. Uh, The first is, I think we've had a far too narrow view of what discipleship is, with an attitude of, we'll just teach the Bible well and that will produce mature disciples of Jesus. I think that's too narrow. So that's the first of the problems I want to address today. The second error I think we've made is to elevate the role far too highly of people like myself as pastors in the church and then doing so underplay the role of everyone else, the body of Christ, the local church. And the effect of this is that if we sort of agree together that something needs to be fixed or some new area of ministry needs to be pioneered, our next step has often been, well, Matt, how much money do you want to employ someone to work on this? And I think the combined effect of those two errors, in my opinion, is that churches uh, become biblically literate communities which then just simply reflect the strengths and weaknesses of their pastor or if they're lucky enough to have a bigger staff team than that. And given no one is, myself included, the complete package in the Christian life and we all might be good at a couple of things but really bad at others, uh, I think that together... has the effect of kind of spraying a fire extinguisher on gospel heat, that that sort of self-generating capacity to share the great news of Jesus with others. So as we get into this, I want to actually say I'm very thankful to God where we've already moved a long way from that picture of what I'd consider an unhealthy church that I just painted, but as always, I want to keep pushing us forward. So let me explain my premise for today, through the, it's quite a big one, through the lens of the first of our readings from Matthew 28. Now this passage is very well known, generally used very appropriately of course on days like today as a great rallying call for worldwide mission. Great day to have that read as we have Mike and Karen and Millie and Mitch with us from CMS. It's understandable, the disciples see the risen Jesus... Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What's received less focus, however, are the implications of the next bit, first half of verse 20, where Jesus says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That teaching uh, and learning to obey Jesus uh, as he has commanded us, I think is a lifetime's work of discipleship, of apprenticeship to Jesus. And I take it the everything I have commanded you from Jesus, the word of God become flesh, is all of God's word. Now churches haven't missed this point, obviously, but largely it's been understood as kind of getting our weekly dose of Bible teaching. And the mainstay of this has been through the weekly sermons, sometimes in Bible studies, if churches have had them. But we've limited our idea of discipleship to the so-called word-based ministries and relegated everything else to something less. 
Someone asked me a few weeks back, uh, they were catching up with me to sort of see if they wanted to put down roots here at our church. They said, what's your discipleship pathway at church? How do people grow to maturity in Christ? And he told me after, he was expecting me to say, well, we teach the Bible on a Sunday, we have our community group Bible studies and so on, we teach the whole counsel of God, of course, over the years. That is the sort of standard response from churches like us. And of course, I want to say all those things are vital in the life of our church. And I've represented in our Gospel Heat diagram the very special foundational place that the Word of God holds. Just pop it up on screen again, Mandy, and leave it up for a while, it'll be good. As you can see on it, being deep in the Word of God as a church is foundational. We're trying to say, yes, of course, it fuels everything. As I was considering how to respond to the what's your discipleship pathway question, I thought about this diagram, tinkering away for months with this, and my answer was, I reckon it's everything. It's all of the biblical purposes of church working their way out that disciple us. So let me use our younger primary aged children as a great example. We invest a lot of time investing in them biblically, entirely appropriate. And it was a great joy for me last week to see our fives and sixes come in and sit through their first sort of adult full-length sermon. And uh, they'd been trained how to do that by our leaders, what to listen out for. They'd studied the passage the week before and are understanding they're doing it again in a few weeks' time on how to listen, how to take notes. And one of the year sixes left their notes on my desk for me. And they were brilliant. They summarised the main point, they'd taken note of kind of key takeaways for them personally and it was one of those moments that really made my heart sing. However, if it's just the word-based ministries that are, are the extent of our discipleship of them, I think that's far too narrow a view. So let's stick with the kids to explain. Most of you won't know this, but many of those same kids love to serve us and they do it diligently. There's quite a few kids. Uh, this morning was a great example of kids who arrive now with mum or dad who are on music or sound or coffee or something like that quite early and help us with setup. They put out all the leaflets, the pens, the Bibles on the seats. They're very helpful. And they actually do it uh, with a heart that I think is spot on. I think it's a wonderful aspect of our discipleship for kids to know and to see that there are a bunch of non-glamorous tasks which need to get done each and every week for church to run and for them to see adults doing it faithfully and serving with good heart. That's discipling our young children very well. Some of those kids serve on our minis team, serving kids younger than them and they're a real help to our leaders. Many love being on their team, getting up early. We had an instance a few weeks ago where one of the kids was invited to a sleepover. They said no, because I wouldn't be able to get to church and I'm on minis and I don't want to let my team down. <laughs> that is wonderful discipleship of our kids. Many of those same kids were with us on Thursday night, helping with our Halloween photo booth. Proud as punch to have their church t-shirts on, experiencing what it's like to hand out bags and invites to people walking past to our evangelistic events, our Christmas services, seeing that some people kind of knock you back and just keep walking and others stay for a chat. They were being discipled as we're on mission together. 
And zoom out now to all of us as our music and sound team serve us on a Sunday leading us in song. They're discipling us. As our pastoral care team cook meals for people who need some encouragement, some practical help, as they listen to people, as they pray with people, they are discipling us. As we go about all of this together, we are teaching one another to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. Contrast this with the, dare I say, traditional approach, coming to church thinking, I'll be discipled by the guy up front with the microphone, I'll help out with a few tasks uh, and then head out back into the week. I think it's very different than being in a church community where everyone serves, taking ownership of different areas of ministry, modelling and teaching others to serve, multiplying the work of the gospel. Some people taking up responsibility to lead teams, some taking up the responsibility to lead teams of leaders. Together, as a church working hard to equip people with the skills to serve, all serving Jesus, as we heard week one from Romans 12, with great fervour and good heart. That, to me, is a church that's seeking to make fully formed disciples that are seeking to obey Jesus in all areas of life as he has commanded us. The first is a one-step process, teacher using the word of God to disciple the congregation. The second is one that aims to multiply endlessly as all disciples with a much broader view of discipleship seek to play their part in forming other disciples that in turn make fully formed disciples and that process just keeps going until we see Jesus face to face. Now, some of you might be saying at this point, hey, Matt, I thought this was a Gospel Heat series. You've been talking about discipleship so far this morning. Correct. Which again takes us back to the premise where this series began a few weeks ago with me saying there's been a lot of research into church health and mission done over the last 10 years in particular in Australia and the results are very clear. It's the churches that are deep in the Word who welcome newcomers really well, who sing with passion, who look after each other really well, who have clear pathways for people to play their part in mission, where people are discipled as they serve and disciple others as they serve, who have a culture of training and multiplying, and who train some to lead teams and others to look after teams of leaders. It's those churches, it's that picture that is creating a lot of gospel heat and seeing far more than we would expect new people come to follow Christ. I think it's that great Ephesians 4 picture of Jesus giving people with word gifts to equip us all to minister to one another. Growing to maturity is a healthy local expression of the body of Christ. Now we are trying to execute that here through our team structure. We're a year in now from announcing our rosters to teams at last year's dinner. It turns out some of the change has been harder than we thought, but overwhelmingly we're starting to see a lot of fruit from the change that's far greater than we possibly imagined. We're trying to make this course correction so that we don't just exist as a church with great energy, just sort of plant churches that mumble along. We're doing it with a passionate desire to multiply disciples of every level, of every ministry, with a passionate desire to see more gospel heat in our city. Now, our second reading today was chosen 
to keep us focused on the right things because there's a danger in having a passion for growth and gospel heat. It's pretty easy to misstep from this point. So you'll find 2 Peter 1 on page 1225 of your Bibles and it'd be great to open it up if your Bible's closed. 2 Peter 1, page 1225. I'll skip through it relatively quickly. 2 Peter 1, uh, starting at verse 3. I find verses 3 and 4 really encouraging for what's in effect one really big sentence, which is quite a mouthful. But in essence, it's saying that God has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. He's called us, He's given us great promises to hold on to, so we can participate in the divine nature and His great work in this world. And read with me then from verse 5. Because of what God has done for us through the gospel, sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to call us into community, He's actually given us the opportunity to participate in His work in the world. So, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection, love. It's a wonderful list of qualities that we are all urged to pursue with great energy in response to what God has done for us through Jesus. But the reason I'm pointing this out is that as soon as I mention growth, discipling others, leading teams of disciples, many of you will think, oh, that's not me, I don't have those skills. That's why we give money to church, so other people can do those things. Whereas this passage contains a promise for us all, verse 8, where it says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually calling us again to that lifetime's work of discipleship, not only to possess these qualities, but increasingly so year in, year out. So I really want to encourage you to make it your life's goal not to be one of those Christians who hits a particular age or stage of life and says, I don't need to keep plumbing the depths of God's Word. Who says, I've settled now for having my Christian faith work in a particular way and don't ask me to go any further. This passage encourages us to make every effort to pursue these qualities in increasing measure, with a great promise that if you do so, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we all have different gifts, to be sure. We all have different capacities. And we want to look after each other really well as we move through some of the challenges of life. But every one of us can play our part in this great discipleship venture with the heart at the same time to generate an awful lot of gospel heat, with the take-to-the-bank promise of God that we can be effective and productive together. Ask yourself, what ministry problem could we not face? What gospel venture would intimidate us if we set out together as a group of disciples of people growing in faith, knowledge, goodness, self-control, godliness, mutual affection... And love. Now, I thought it would be both interesting and helpful for us to consider all of this in a real life case study of a problem that we 
need to solve. And it's a case study on our youth. So many can put the graph up on screen now. Lots of stuff today for our visual learners. Now, uh, this graph is uh, one, I realise you won't be able to uh, read all the, the points at the bottom there, but it does illustrate one thing very clearly. It's showing us the age profile of two things. The orange line up on screen is the age profile of South Australia. So in SA, about 6% of the population is aged 0 to 4 years old and it rises up to about 7% through all the bands of you know, 20, 24, and by the start, time we start pushing into the 60s, as you can expect, it dips away. Now, the bright green line is the age profile of the Trinity Network, which shows us mirroring the population right up until about 14 years of age, then dropping off the edge of a cliff through the later teens and 20s, and then recovering again back into the 30-year-old brackets and beyond. And then after that we are overrepresented in the age brackets from then on. Now I know I've got the statisticians in the room at this point, but if you're one of the many other people that I've lost so far, all you need to know is this graph illustrates very clearly that we kind of suck at youth ministry. <laughs> and churches tend to either be able to draw a big crowd and not disciple them particularly well, with only a very small percentage of youth kicking on and serving Jesus for a lifetime, or they disciple a relatively small group of youth a bit better. And the graph shows we're probably tending towards the latter as a network. The question is, what are we going to do about it? A good tip to help you move away from the traditional way of thinking about church with its narrow view of discipleship and its reliance on paid staff to do the discipling is always to say we... So if you find yourself saying, what's the church going to do about it, just replace the, the church with we. What are we going to do about it, rather than what's the church? Some being, it's just us. There is no the church. We are the church. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do about this? The good news is that a small group of people have found some churches in Australia that seem to do both well, drawing a big crowd and discipling their youth well. And this afternoon at Youth Parents are going to get some more information about us taking a fresh approach along those lines next year. Some of the big picture decisions have been made, seeking to leverage the size of our network of churches, but the core of discipleship work remains with us at the local church, and we need to make some decisions about it. Current Youth Parents uh, as I said, are getting um, some info to consider this afternoon and everyone else with a vested interest in youth from next year on will get it in the mail during the week. But what we'll be looking for is about six, preferably eight people from across our church who will make youth ministry their main thing next year. Investing in our youth deeply in the Word and sharing life together. Now, historically, we found this really hard to recruit for because we... We're sort of largely missing in that 20s bracket who often sort of uh, serve in youth in churches. Uh, but also, I think in our mind, we, we think that someone to be involved in youth has to be some super gifted person that the youth think are cool. Now, let's just own it. Generally, youth don't find any adults cool. <laughs> and simply thinking, who's the youth pastor that we can employ to fix this, just won't cut it because we clearly need more than one person to invest in our youth. What we're really after 
is 2 Peter 1 kind of people. Now, none of us, are, like when we read that list, all of us feel we fall short of it. None of us are perfect and nail this. But what we're really looking forward to is the kind of direction people are going, people who have these qualities in some measure and are committed to increasing in them. Now, I'm not saying everyone at church, this is your ideal ministry. But what I am saying is probably a far wider selection of us are than we might think. And I know we're all busy too, so saying yes will mean saying no and stepping out of something else. I'm considering whether being one of the eight, but it would mean I would have to say no to something else, like the rest of you, and I'd probably drop being a community group leader, which means others might have to step in there. And then those people step in from somewhere and they'd be stepping out of other ministries to do so, and so on. You can see very quickly that together we need to do this. But also I want to argue we need to have a much wider view of discipleship for our youth. Already I love the way some of our band leaders invest in our youth who play in some of our bands. They're discipling them in what it means to have musical gifts to disciple the rest of us. But let's multiply it. How can our coffee team do that? How can our pack-up team do that? What does it mean for those who serve in pastoral care to disciple kids to look at, disciple our youth, I should say. Youth really hate being called uh, kids, and I already know I'm not cool, so that's okay. <laughs> to disciple our youth to look after others, other youth who might particularly need some encouragement. To me, if we do that together, I think that's a church family seeking to make fully formed disciples of our youth that will love and serve Jesus for a lifetime. We can do this. So whoever you are, whatever your gifts, if you're sitting at the, on the sidelines at church waiting and watching others serve, jump in. Write on a response card, I'm happy to serve, give me a call. If you're new or newish, we're starting our membership series tomorrow night called Belong, where we run through all the purposes of church and how they play out and how you can connect in. Whether you've been with us long time or short, you're welcome to come Just again, jot it down in a response slip and drop it in the bags when they come past. We'll be in touch before tomorrow night. Now, I want to say very openly at this point, can you find churches where you'll be able to sit much more passively with a lower cost of belonging? Absolutely. (laughs) But we are unashamed about lifting the bar on what it means to labour in the Lord with glad sacrificial service in our formal ministries and what actually makes it doable is everyone jumping in in some way every part of the body of Christ discipling one another as we serve but it is costly there's no way of getting around that Jesus called us to that when he said if you want to be my disciples take up your cross and follow me it was quite literally calling people to come and die with him so that others might live And we do have a great core of people who are already serving in these ways, which I find tremendously encouraging. Thank you so much. And whether you're already doing this or need some encouragement to continue on or if you're sitting on the sidelines thinking about jumping in the pool, let me say there is no greater mission to be recruited to in this world today. The task of making disciples and teaching them to obey Jesus in all of life. And there's no greater promise either than the one Jesus makes. People are trying to recruit us to causes every day, a workplace with a cause, a school community with a cause, you can keep going on. 
They're all important and I don't want to play them down, but none of it will stand the test of time like Jesus' cause will. Jesus has and will continue to build his church. It's unstoppable, it's eternal. There is no greater promise and also there is no greater reward. As Peter said to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. As it's recorded in Mark chapter 10, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, no one who has left homes or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, there's a reality check, but and not only in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. There's no greater cause... There's no greater promise. There's no greater reward. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us and we thank you so much uh, for where you've brought us uh, to as a church. We rejoice in the fact of all the uh, kids who made the mass exodus out to their programs this morning. We pray fervently for our youth uh, in the years to come and we thank you so much that as we look around each and every Sunday, there's so many people serving you gladly and sacrificially as we disciple one another into fully formed disciples of Jesus. Please help us to make uh, easy pathways, easy ways for people to connect in. And please use our gifts, uh, the gifts that you have given us, uh, in service of you, your church and the gospel. And please, Lord, we pray that uh, we can do this in such a way that we're motivated by grace and we can look after each other as we do so, that we don't just burn people out and spit them out, but actually grow people to fully formed, mature disciples of Jesus together that multiply everything for the sake of your gospel and for the sake of your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and very powerful name. Amen.